You are Locked On Nuggets, your daily Denver Nuggets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody, and welcome into the Locked On Nuggets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. We thank you for making us your first listen each and every day uh, here at Locked On. It's just me today. Matt Moore has the day off. He'll be back with you on Friday. I got to do a mailbag today, and I'm kind of excited about it. Look at all these people, first, second, third, seventh, whatever it is. Um, I got, I'm pretty excited here. So we did a mailbag, and sometimes you know, good questions come in, sometimes bad ones. I thought a lot of really good ones came in, and actually more than I expected. So thank you all for giving some good ones. We're going to talk a little bit of you know, some what do I like about the FIBA game versus NBA game? How would I make the perfect league, the perfect game? We got a lot of Nuggets questions. I know a lot of people... One theme I'm noticing is that people are very interested in um, the bench. I think people are very concerned with the Nuggets bench, probably because Serbia went out sad when Jokic was was not on the court. The bench unit kind of let him down. Last year, that was a big story. So there's a lot of Nuggets. This is primarily Nuggets stuff, I think, that we're going to get into. But we're going to start with what I thought was probably my favorite question coming in from Flo. Congrats, Flo, by the way, on, on Team France's overtime win uh, over Italy. Italy choked it away with some missed free throws down the stretch and a horrible, it's hilarious. People don't realize this, that Italy would have won in regulation had they not flopped. There was an egregious flop attempt in the final 90 seconds. Referees rightfully called it and it gave a free throw. The game ends up going into overtime. I love it. <laughs> so we asked me, the question and Flo asked me is, now that you dove into Eurobasket, if you were to create a new basketball league, what would you keep from FIBA and from the NBA? And this is a great question because to me, neither league, you know, the FIBA rules, nor the NBA rules are perfect. They both have things in them that I absolutely hate, and they have things in them that I absolutely love. Number one, I would absolutely keep the restrictions on timeouts. The pace of play in Eurobasket is so fun in that there's just so fewer stoppages, so so much fewer like ways to make the game kind of clunky, especially end of game. It just kind of flows, and I like it. To me, it feels a little bit more pure when you're not just stopping it eight times, like the last eight possessions in an NBA game are all scripted, like call timeout, drop a play, run it, rebound, call timeout, drop a play. And I hate that. I like when it's a little bit more free flowing. FIBA does a really good job of that. I like the, actually that was number two. The number one thing to me would be the physicality. If it's crazy, people don't understand this. Eurobasket actually allows for so much more contact, especially by big players out on the perimeter, but really by anyone, it just shines the most when you're out there. One of the things I absolutely hate, and yes, I'm bringing some baggage to this conversation. One, because obviously Jokic is, you know, the Nuggets' best player. He's a big. But more importantly, it's that I was a big growing up. I know how this is a natural thing. When a small guy is guarding a big guy in the post, they're just allowed to get so physical with him, hands-on, push this or that. When it's reversed and there's a big guy out on the perimeter, you breathe on him and it's a foul. The NBA has taken this, in my opinion, to un- um, untenable heights you know now you look inside pj tucker james harden why do they guard the post so long so well because they're giving up 100 pounds so it's like referees are like come on they're, they're giving up weight they can they can grab your arm and do all this stuff and if you have a uh a Jokic who's not dunking on you instead he's shooting jump hooks and floaters you get a little bit of contact that's gonna it's all touch it's gonna throw things off and then on the perimeter your damian lillard your trey youngs of the world they know they just have to get like a half step on you and throw the head back i've been in Eurobasket, Dennis Schroeder is crushing it. You know, you've got the Italian uh, guards that have been crushing it. You still have the quick perimeter small guards who are effective. They're just not effective in the dumb, what I can perceive to be the dumb parts of the game. So perimeter physicality to me, no question about it. And then here's an interesting one. 
and I don't know how you do this. The more I think about it, the more I watch Eurobasket, these teams have a continuity to them and an identity to them. That is part of this is just, you know, a national identity. You all speak the same language. You know, you're representing your country. It means a little bit more. But I think also there's these through lines. Like Team Spain had guys playing with them for 15 years every summer. And you get that continuity. And I think when you watch leagues like the NFL, do players get traded? Absolutely. But not nearly like they do in the NBA, where every year you almost feel like you're having a different team. And I like that. I don't know how you change this. But just making it harder to make trades. The NBA is never going to do this, by the way. They love trades. What do we talk about? You turn on ESPN. We're not talking about the game. We're talking about the trades or potential trades or theoretical trades. So the NBA is not going to do this. But when I watch it, I just so much would prefer actual development to be a part of a successful organization. It, you know, if you get a Malik Beasley in your system, it's you kind of assume that a Malik Beasley caliber player is going to play for six, seven different teams over the course of his career. He's always going to be on a team for two seasons and then move on. It's just a given. But players like that to me are so much more interesting when they're developed specifically for a system. And it's like, hey, this is an eight year arc where we're going to mold. This is what this guy does well. We're going to mold him into the perfect thing of that. And I just like that in, in the FIBA game. I think you see a lot of that. Um, you know, the NBA has a lot of merits too. the players are just better. They're more athletic. They shoot the ball better. They're more well-rounded, all of this or that. But I think if you just made those three changes, some of them are almost cultural, but I mean, you'd have to like legislate them in. I do think it would make the NBA game even better because I'm not one of these people that thinks like, oh, FIBA, those guys like total NBA hipster, basketball hipster, where I'm like, they would crush NBA players, this or that. No, the NBA is still the top league. It's still by far, in my opinion, by far the more talented league. But the game is – there's so much more to the, that the game has to offer that the NBA has lost as more money has come into it, more marketing and all those different things. So um, I am curious, by the way, with this tournament that the NBA is going to be implementing, maybe as early as next season. I don't – I'm worried that no one's going to take it seriously. But if you do, there is something to a single elimination tournament that's just so much fun, and I'm hopeful – that I don't understand it. I don't understand why they're doing it. I don't understand any of that, but I hope that it's like the play-in where it's like, hey, this is pretty fun. Do or die games in the middle of the season is, is actually a pretty cool thing. Um, November in Denmark asks, what soft skills, and he put those in air quotes, could benefit Jokic to become a better leader? Should Jokic take English language lessons to improve his communication, leadership coaching? I love this question because the, the examples he gives are so far out the box, right? Um, I've talked about this a lot. Jokic is on a path of leadership. He's getting better. In my opinion, he's getting better every year, but he has more to go. There's still a long way. I've said this before, going to Serbia only strengthens it. I, I did a podcast with Seth Partnow yesterday. I, I really liked it. You get, To those of you, and I don't know if anybody does this, the people that tune into everything I do, DNBR, Locked on Nuggets, any guest appearance I have, if you follow these things closely enough, even Twitter or whatever, you probably see the evolution of, of my perspective. Like any natural person, like only because mine are public, you see like every step. You can almost like a Google Doc, you can go back and look at draft one, two, three, and four. And something that kind of came to me as I was talking to Seth Part now, I mean, it had been in my mind in different forms, but kind of came together in a, as a concept was this idea of when we're talking about basketball. So I know my, my guy Flo got mad at me a while back. I don't know why he got mad at me, but he got mad at me a while back about calling Serbia or Yugoslavian basketball one of the premier basketball schools. I stand by that take. To me, the Soviets, uh, Yugoslavia, the US, they have this very long history that's very interesting. If you look more recently, Spain uh, is has a very successful last 20 years, and there's something to that. When you watch Spain advancing 
in Eurobasket, the way that they did, they, to me, they play the best brand of basketball of anyone, anybody in Eurobasket. They don't have the best talent, but they play the best brand. France, an interesting thing with France is that, and I actually hopefully will soon have Dechi Fall, who's in the Nuggets' scouting department in the front office. I've had some great conversations with him recently. I think I'll get him on the podcast probably during the week of training camp out in San Diego. But he had some interesting insights about, hey, what is the French national team doing to be so successful? And one of the things is, is that they realize they have so many uh, connections to just foreign col uh, colonies, you know, obviously language connections, but even some infrastructure things that they still do there with sports. And they're getting a lot of guys, Joel Embiid playing for Team France. Like there's a lot of those types of things that are going, going on now. And not just on established players, but also on developmental players of saying, hey, we see somebody down here. Um, you know, in, in some of these different African nations that show a lot of promise in soccer or whatever, and they bring them over and, and then get them into their school, which is a good school of basketball to begin with. And, and now you start to get this really great pipeline of players. So I think France is another one. But the reason I bring it up all these different schools is to me, no single school, including the U.S., gets it right. They all have a perspective. They all have something that is like, hey, this is our identity. And I think the culture, the way the culture influences that identity is actually really interesting. Maybe that's just me, but I, I find it really interesting. But they all have something. And I don't think any one is the right answer. There's ones that are more or less right. And then obviously the talent comes combines with that and luck and everything else to see who becomes a winner year by year, era by era. But I think where you really get the most value is when you get the most perspectives. If you can combine, hey, what do they do in Spain really well? What's What is it that's working there? And you get a little experience there. And what are they doing in... Serbia and you get a little experience there and what is the US value so much and what do you get there and I think Jokic you know is a product of the Yugoslavian slash Serbian school of basketball in many ways and it's interesting to me and there's going to be a great story about this coming from Misho in the documentary about the decision to send him to the US about what made that happen and I think when you hear the, the reasoning behind it and you see his development Jokic is very much a in many ways, a perfect Serbian basketball player, but that alone wasn't going to make him an NBA MVP. He then takes some of these things from his experiences in the U.S. and makes them. So how does that play into this answer? To me, Jokic is probably, in my opinion, and I could be wrong on this, who am I to give him advice? He's probably missing still a little bit of Western slash American culture and American influence in his personality or just in his life experience that I think would aid him to be a better leader in the NBA. I've always said, I think Jokic could use a few American friends, like people that just, you gain a different perspective when you're immersed more thoroughly in a culture. And I don't know Jokic well enough to say this. And I don't even know if my, my opinion on this is accurate. It's just, it's my opinion. It's my perspective that goes beyond basketball, just about life. I, it seems like Jokic is maybe a little bit more removed, a little bit more. He has a tight group. I mean, he's a super famous and rich people. There's a lot of people trying to break into his bubble, so I understand it in part. But I do wonder if there's a little bit of like a little bit more opening up the doors culturally would actually help him connect with a Michael Porter a little bit better, help him connect with some of the players that are on his team um, who are just so culturally different from from what he grew up with. So that's just one of my one of my perspectives. Agree with it. Or disagree. Uh, BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your pro and college football betting needs and sports info this season. Find all the latest football league development game matchups, news, and podcasts, including this year's opening week's games. BetOnline is also your continued source for all your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events, including Major League Baseball, MMA, boxing, and golf. 
Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and actions. Bet online, where the game starts. Segment two here, Locked On Nuggets podcast, mailbag edition. Brennan Stewart asks, is there a scenario where on the game show rests, Bones stays with the bench to run that unit and get reps there? And Ish or Brown, Bruce Brown, starts. Absolutely. Um, I, I don't know if I would say it's likely, but it's as likely to me as Bones just starting and moving into that starting lineup. There's benefits to both. I want to see Bones play with Jokic. He's very fun. He's very effective. I want to see him play with Michael Porter. Um, I am, and, and I don't know how much, like, Bones is more like Jamal Murray than anybody else on the team. So moving him there, I think, makes it easier on the other four players. That being said, that second unit is a little bit concerning to me. And what do they look like if they don't have Bones? If it's just Ish Smith and the rest of the cast out there, is Bruce Brown, you know, how does he look when he doesn't have enough scoring options and lead ball handler and this or that? Who else is out on the court with him? If it were me, I think this is probably an area that you're going to experiment. And I think you probably just change up your rotation entirely to where it's not just plug this guy in that spot, this guy in that spot, and everything else is the same. You probably get different rotations all the way through. So I think that's that's one of those things that's probably going to be a little bit difficult. I would like to see Bruce Brown as a point guard, which means to say with no point guard. So Brown and KCP, it's a great defensive lineup. You got Michael Porter there. You got Aaron Gordon, who's another great defender. So three elite, three of your best defenders on the court around side, Michael Porter and Jokic. I'm very intrigued by that. Is it a viable option? Is it easy to solve? I don't think in the regular season, and that's mostly what it is, is we're just trying to get through a regular season. I think it probably works okay, and that preserves your bench lineup. The other piece of this, there's actually two other pieces. One, I'm really hopeful that we see a lot of bones in MPJ because I think those are the minutes that MPJ specifically can shine a lot where there's no Murray to worry about. There's no Jokic. You get to be more aggressive. The team's calling more plays for you. So if you brought bones into the starting lineup, then is MPJ still staggering and going to a bench lineup that features this Smith? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. And then lastly, one of the main objectives, in my opinion, this year for the Nuggets is to blend Murray, Porter, and Jokic in a way that we haven't seen so far. I brought this up before, but and I think everybody knows it in the back of their mind, but if you actually sit to look at it, this, this is why I think people are uneasy about Michael Porter is all of his best games are not all, but most of them have come when Jamal Murray was out in some capacity, either for the extended amount of time um, or if it was just from the, you know, little, little injuries here or there, like Murray would miss two weeks and Porter would have a great run for those two weeks. So one of the things is, can all three of those guys sort of all shine at the same time? By the way, this is difficult for any team, not just the Nuggets. Any big three, all, almost always there's one player that steps back. So I want to get a lot of reps with Jokic and Porter and Murray all together. But I think one way to accelerate that is to get a lot of minutes with Jokic and Porter, basically meaning the starters without Murray. So it's like, Porter, here's where you fit in. And then when Murray's back, we don't always run those sets to you. We don't always run those actions, but we'll sprinkle them in. So I think in my head, at least, that's probably the best bet. And if you do that with Bones Highland, maybe it diminishes it a little bit. So long way of saying both ways could be possible. But to me, I lean slightly more towards Bones staying with the bench. Um, or, or at the very least, he starts, but he comes out early with Michael Porter or some, something like that. I don't know. What does it mean to have a player under a qualifying offer? This comes from JB Denver Sports. Zignaji has a team option in 2023 and a qualifying offer in 2024 for about $6.2 Chances he is on the team the next three years. So the way this works is 
you know, next year, the team option, when it's a first round draft pick, teams usually pick those up later in the, just because if you don't, you're basically saying we used the first round pick on a guy that we don't even think is worth this option to pick up where we just get to keep his rights. Um, the qualifying offer is, you know, when you offer that to a player, that, that's when they're eligible to be extended for a longer, a longer period of time. You can sign them to three, four, whatever it is, uh, your extension, and then you have them under contract going forward, or you can tend, you can offer the qualifying offer, which at this point is 6.2. I'm trusting your numbers on this. And that means that you get him locked in for that one more year, and then the following summer he becomes a restricted free agent. So this is a no-brainer for players that are good because it's like, hey, of course we're going to give him an extension. Jamal Murray, Michael Porter, Nikola Jokic, give him an extension. For players that are less good, you do have to kind of decide, is Zeke Nagy worth you know, committing to? long term or is that 6.2 million dollars and then we'll reassess next year when he's a restricted free agent meaning we have the right to match it but the number might actually get a lot higher they'll have to make that decision so um with him he's the type of player that's on the fence about that it might be that next year denver feels like hey we are title favorites and we can have zeke naji for 6.2 million dollars and then we're going to be in a tight spot after that but hey he's worth six million he's not necessarily worth what it's going to cost us to extend him right now you know, that's a thing that could happen. So that's that's more or less how that works. What are the odds that he's on the team in the next three years? Probably low just by the virtue of the way the NBA works. I just mentioned Malik Beasley. Players of that caliber, they just keep going to new teams. That's probably – Zeke Nagy is like that. I think he's really good. I expect him to have a great year, and I expect him to be a guy that projects to be a really good fit. But does that mean you're taking Aaron Gordon out of that spot so you commit long-term money to him? Probably not. So he's – probably becomes one of those teams that is more valuable to someone else than he is to Denver. And you're just going to have to keep finding new Zeke Najis uh, and, and kind of keep that stable going. Well, MPJ and Jamal Murray start with a serious minute restriction who absorbs those minutes. Um, and, and how do you figure MPJ worked into the offense better than in previous years? It's a great question all around. The one thing I will say is I don't have, we had other than that first year, I don't know that we've had a Michael Porter training camp where it's been like, hey, we're trying to work this guy in. This would be the year where it's most on everybody's mind that, hey, we need Michael Porter to be a big part of this offense. So I imagine he'll be worked in a little bit more. But then you have the aspect of we're not actually sure if he's healthy enough to play. There's been some clips of him doing five on five in different capacity. I imagine in the next two weeks, one of the things we're going to see or not see is Jamal Murray and Michael Porter doing actual open gym workouts with the rest of the Nuggets. And that'll give us a sense for, hey, are these guys hitting the ground running 100% or is there some kind of, you know, restriction on them even practicing and going full contact? Um, as far as minute restrictions, I imagine Michael Porter's or both of those guys probably are under 30 minutes for a large part of the first month of the season, if not a little bit more. My hope, and I think everybody's like realistic expectation is that by Christmas, those guys are more or less not worried about minutes restrictions. Maybe they don't play back-to-backs all year, just being smart and extra cautious but that by Christmas, you're more or less not worried about them playing 35 minutes on any given night. How does our view of the current Nuggets change if we lose game five against Utah in the bubble? I hate this question. This comes from Stefan. The reason I hate it, because I hate, the sports are about what happened, not what could have happened. I think they make good conversation. Don't get me wrong. But you could do this with any number of teams throughout history, especially even current history, and say, if it weren't for this, would we look at them different? And the answer is always yes. But the thing did happen the way that it did. Denver did come back. Conley did miss his shot, all of those different things. And I think when you follow up a game seven win to Utah with another game seven win against the Clippers, 
I think we can reasonably stack all of these things on top of each other, and including the previous year where they almost went to the Western Conference Finals. You could stack that on top of each other and say, hey, we have reason to believe that this team is as good as those teams said they were. Candidates to be Western Conference finalists in both years and Western Conference finalists in one of those years, and then not over the hump. I think it's reasonable for us to say they are more or less what we thought they were. I don't think it's reasonable to say they are not that, and I don't think it's reasonable to say they are more than that. Those things are questionable. We don't know. You can have an opinion, but to say you know or feel you know feel too confident one way or the other, it's been two years. What are we supposed to know? But sports are about what happened, not what could happen. Um, Peter asks, do you think Zeke has the size to be a full-time backup five yet, or is he better playing the wing? I like the idea of him as a small five a lot. I think everybody likes the idea of it. The question is, can he rebound and can he guard inside? Zeke has been a more impressive, to me at least, more impressive perimeter player than an interior player, both ways, defensively and offensively. And I have to imagine a full part of why he's beefing up this offseason is because he wants to be better interior while not losing any of that exterior. So if he can play the five, there's probably also a little bit of this from his agent saying, hey, Jeff Green is still here. He's still a big part of that. He's most likely a four or five hybrid, but mostly a four. So that leaves a vacancy at five where you can plug right in. If it works at five, it's a lot easier for Zeke Naji to play a lot of minutes this year. If he's a four, Jeff Green, him, they're starting to compete a little bit. So I think his personal hope is that he can do that. My expectation, I just don't have a ton of faith in his rebounding. I love him as a four. I, I'm skeptical. Of, I shouldn't say skeptical. I'm, I'm neither skeptical nor optimistic. I'm curious to see what he is as a five this year. But we just haven't seen it for me to say, like, oh, I think he's going to be great at it. Uh, and what are your hopes for Bruce Brown this season? He's one of those players I have pretty high hopes because he's a, a pivotal piece. Um, you know, Bruce Brown, we haven't talked a whole lot about, in part because his game is so unique. And I think we're most excited about how he fits with Jokic. How much does he play with Jokic is to be to be determined. The one thing I will say is, you know, especially you watch Serbia go out a little bit sad to Team Italy. And what, what did Team Italy do? They, they had small, quick guards that could shoot the ball, and they broke down that pick and roll, that first line of defense, and then, of course, made it difficult on you, made life difficult. Bruce Brown is one of the best pick and roll defending guards in the league. You've got Contavious Caldwell-Pope and, and Jamal Murray. Those are all three guys you didn't have last year. Is it enough? I'm not going to lie to you guys. I'm a little concerned with how much – Team Serbia struggled against that, and Jokic obviously in particular struggled against that. And I thought Serbia did a way better job than um, Denver does at recovering behind it. Like they were throwing, you know, multiple defensive rotations, and then Italy was better than most NBA teams at making the extra pass. But I'm not going to lie that I'm a little concerned of, hey, what's it going to take? Now, Serbia didn't have great perimeter defense, and especially in that game, I thought guys did not step up, but they didn't have great perimeter containment. Is Bruce Brown, KCP, Jamal Murray enough? If you ask me what's my hope for Bruce Brown, that's my only hope, is that the answer to that question is yes. And when push comes to shove in a playoff series, when you have to go through Devin Booker and Chris Paul and Damian Lillard and Steph Curry and all the other guards that are out there in the Western Conference, when push comes to shove, the answer to that question is yes, because Bruce Brown is playing a lot of minutes and he's making a huge defensive impact. Let's see what else we got here. Um, Steph Curry, Kevin, oh, I'm going to read this verbatim, this, this, this read for you guys, because it's so infuriating. Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Giannis Attentacupo, which player moves the betting line the most this season? Locked on and the bet online odds makers present the NBA top 50 most valuable players starting on September 19th. Find it on Locked on NBA, wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. That's right. 
Nowhere in that ad copy is the name Nikola Jokic. Not my fault. Not my fault. All right, third segment, final segment here. Nick Hanneman asks, who is a really good team out West that you think the Nuggets could actually fare well against in a playoff series? And then vice versa, who is a team that's not that great that would give Denver some problems? Um, I think the team out West that, to me, Denver probably matches up just a little bit better than most against is probably the LA Clippers. Again, John Wall and Reggie Jackson are really, those are the two guys that I think could be Nuggets killers in a playoff series. But I think it would be very difficult for the Clippers to fully go away from Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, who Denver is, I think, in my opinion, more um, prepared to defend and go against. And then you've got, you know, Ivica Zubats in there who Jokic has had some success with and not a lot behind. So to me, that's a team that I look at and I go, Denver might actually make them look bad in a series. I think it's possible in a way that that would probably surprise some people. The team they would look bad against, this one is a much tougher one. I mean, I think the Warriors are honestly one of those teams. I mean, Denver had a one, what was it, 118 defensive rating in that series. They sneaky looked terrible defensively. Golden State obviously punished them, and Denver didn't have all their guys. But when Denver has all their guys, does it actually help against Steph Curry and Jordan Poole and Klay Thompson? I would argue that that is a series more than any other that probably has Denver go away from Michael Porter, as good as he is. I think that those are lineups that probably have Michael Porter off the bench, off the, not off the bench, maybe off the bench. Maybe you actually just have to go to that as a whole lineup and make a crazy adjustment like that has happened before. But to me, that's a, you're going to win that one through Jamal Murray, Nikolajokic on offense, and defensively, KCP, Bruce Brown, and Aaron Gordon. And you're just going to have to be extremely switchy off ball, locked in off ball, connected, um, and if you're not that, I think it's going to be one of those ones where the, the Warriors, even if the games are close, you're going to look at the end of it and go, wow, Denver had a 120 defensive rating. Like, that's just not good enough. They had it in every single game. So the Warriors, a sneaky good pick? Probably not. We've seen Oklahoma City give Denver problems. I don't think they'll be a playoff team, but we've seen that. Just Again, Shea's very good, so maybe there's something there. Uh, and then I am interested in Minnesota just because they have the Twin Towers lineup. They'll with them. Or something like that, I think, would be a little nerve-wracking, even if it might be a very easy matchup for Denver. I don't know. There's just too much variance in that one. Um, Dave asks, have things changed for the Nuggets since the director of sports science and rehab, Matt Tuttle, left the team? I honestly can't answer that one for you. Those, that's a behind-the-curtain the question that I don't really have enough information on. The one thing I would say about this is that I see a lot of conspiracy theories with people on the Nuggets in that that way. Of like, oh, they don't spend on this, or they don't do this, or this guy, of course they're hurt. They've got so-and-so. Dan Schmitzky is over here doing this. Stuff. I think mostly those things are connecting dots that either don't exist, or like if I don't know whether or not they exist, I'm certain that the person sitting at home doesn't know whether they exist. Even if they feel like they do, um, they often don't. Teams have teams of doctors that are sort of in their circle, and oftentimes they're the best in the state to do the certain types of procedures that you have. So this idea of like, oh, it's this one guy who was a cheap hire and it's, you know, they should have had more or less of this. I don't know to what degree that's true. I just, I think that has a little bit more to do with like almost conspiracy theory type stuff. Um, Koza asked, and this is a common question, could the Nuggets benefit from changing Jokic rotation the first six minutes of first and third and playing most, uh, playing almost entire second and fourth? 
It's an interesting theory. I don't love it as much in the first half. I get the sense of, I get the idea that you'd want to keep the first half and second half somewhat mirroring each other. Um, I definitely like it for the fourth. Closing the third versus starting the fourth or midway through the fourth, what's more important? We've seen so many times when the end of a third quarter can really cause momentum going into the fourth, and I think that's Michael Malone's philosophy with Jokic. We want to end the third quarter as well so that we have momentum going into the fourth, and then when he comes back in with six or seven minutes left, you know, that, that's enough time. I probably would tilt that scale just a little bit and try to bring him in more in the eight-minute range just because I the, the end of games oftentimes are really slow. There's free throws, there's fouls, there's stoppages, there's timeouts. So to me, eight minutes in the fourth, oftentimes it's like not, not that strenuous. Um, so I would like to see that. It would take a complete overhaul for it, and I don't expect it. My, my hunch is the one piece of this equation that stays the exact same is Nikola Jokic's minutes. Um, how would you project the Nets' players in terms of defensive player of the game chains earned? I'll, I don't know what I would say if I was saying the realistic. By the way, this comes from Ray, King of the Chat, Ray. Um, how would I project it? I don't know. I'll just tell you my wish. My wish would be for the Aaron Gordon to win the lion's share of these. To me, that is the most um, – Aaron Gordon becoming a true elite lockdown defender to where he's all season long in the defensive player of the year uh, conversation to me would be the biggest win. It sounds like that's what he wants, you know, him talking about I need to get a better IQ or whatever. To me, it would be him winning that more often than not would just be huge for the Nuggets, and I think there's a great chance of it. Um, KCP's defense is interesting because I think he's really a really good defender, but defensive player of the game usually is like a big play, like, oh, that he had that big block or big steal and clutch. And I almost wonder if Bruce Brown will get more of those types of things than, than KCP will. Those three guys to me will earn a majority of them with a dark horse candidate being maybe Zeke Naji. Um, who knows? I don't know who else will really be a candidate for too many of those. Like Murray, Porter, Jokic will get a few here or there, but I don't know if they're going to be getting a ton of them. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. Serbia, this comes from Nino Hinguin. He says, Serbia Nuggets' weakness is the non-Jokic minutes. What do you think is the best Nuggets non-Jokic lineup for regular season and playoffs? Playoffs, no question. Bruce Brown. Oh, oh actually, non-Jokic lineup. Hmm. Man, that's a really good question. I, again, I, I'm just so in on this idea, and maybe it's just because it's in my head and it's not necessarily an accurate one, but I'm so in on this idea of Bones being the player that unlocks Michael Porter. To me, it would be such a great story. It'd be so huge if you basically have the Murray-Jokic lineup and you have the Bones-Porter lineup, and then you blend all of that together at certain moments, but you kind of have these two different things. To me, that would be the best. Is it a great playoff lineup, though, when you're already starting from behind? I don't know. Um, but I'll go ahead and say that. Bones, uh, Porter, we'll go with uh, man, KCP and Bruce Brown at your two, three. And then I guess that leaves Zeke Naji as your five. Don't necessarily love it. Don't necessarily love it, but I think it's a pretty good one mixing offense and defense. So maybe that's it. Um, I like this one too. Same, same guy, Nino, asking with the current roster, can the Nuggets implement slow and methodical starters that are running them to the bench? A la 2010, Chauncey and Tice and Tristan contrasting style. Great question. I love this one. And the, my, my hunch is yes. I think one of the things that was lacking last year, I talked about this a little bit, I think, over at the end of one of the things that was lacking from the Nuggets over with Ben the last couple of years is identity. And that's definitely, again, if I could pick an identity form, it would be Bones and MPJ with MJ being the stagger guy, of course, playing those minutes. 
and running and run. You play with bones, you get out a little bit quicker, you're a little bit smaller, but you're just like running and running, wearing teams down. So much so that the starters had to come back in and now they're running. And so when Denver starters come back in, they're playing against a little bit of a fatigue team. To me, that would be a great recipe for regular season success and maybe even a great recipe for playoff success. Um, let's see here. Dylan asks, how much uh, more do you think Jokic needs to step up wise? I talked about that earlier. It's still more. Um, I, I still think there's lessons to be learned. This is why, you know, sports are so great because you can always look at things through whatever lens you want. And, you know, Team Serbia, I wanted to look at that as the lens of Jokic restoring Serbia back to gold medal era and, uh, you know, this or that. Now he's ready, this or that. That didn't happen. There is something to say for, hey, what if, though, this was another lesson and you could look at it and say, where do I go from here? And one of the things I will say is Jokic thrives to me off of, like, very focused, serious, no frill style leadership. To me, there isn't an emotional aspect of sports. This is what Pat Beverly brings. He's, like, a crazy person, but, like, he, you know he's always going to have that. And I wonder if Jokic, not necessarily becoming something that he's not, but understanding wh whose role it is to stoke those and and, and encouraging guys to say like hey we need the emotional pick-me-up bones like hey do that like better kind of getting people to understand their roles both on the court as x's knows but also just as emotionally where do you guys fit into this equation um let's see here somebody asked does bones have a legit chance at six man of the year of course he has a legit chance i wouldn't count on it just because second year players there's just so many ups and downs and i think he'll be i think bones this season is going to be up and down but if it's not, if those downs don't really come, then of course, I mean, he's a really good player and should have some really, he fits the mold of what a six man is. He scores a lot, he passes a lot, he's charismatic. All those things matter a lot. Do Nuggets win finals if AD doesn't hit that shot in the bubble? I'm going to disagree with KCP here and say, not, and just say maybe. <laughs> like, I don't know if it's a for sure thing. The one thing I will say is that the Lakers that year never were tested. Denver to be outplayed them in game two pretty handily. I'll play them in game three and four, too. Um, so if they get that one, do they win game three still? I don't know. If you get them on the hills, though, I do think there's something, too. Like, every team has to make adjustments. And the Lakers didn't really have to make any. And when you make teams make adjustments, they either work or don't work, or guys feel left out, or this or that. And sadly, Denver never put the Lakers in that position, and I think they would have had they had an 80 not to hit that shot. If people don't remember, Jokic dominated down the stretch of that game. He hits the what I thought was going to be the game winner before Anthony Davis hit the game winner. So you're feeling good about how Jokic was sort of figuring it out, um, but they just never put him in that spot. I'm always leery because LeBron plays different when those adjustments come. Like I feel like LeBron feels things out, and then when you can either close a series or when you need to bounce back in a series, he's had a lot of his best games. He didn't necessarily need that other than in game five. Was it game five to close out game where he really stepped up? Do we get that LeBron more than once? My hunch is probably, but at the same time, we, over the last two, three years, we actually haven't seen LeBron have to go for that level. And that's one of the big questions I think is under the radar. We have not seen LeBron in like a six or seven game series play his best basketball as it went on. So I don't know. Well, the Nuggets drop their city edition uniforms probably soon, and I can't wait for it. I'm very curious to see what it is. That does it for today, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Matt Moore will be back with me or solo later on in the week. Um, and so, and then we have only one week after that, only one week of offseason before training camp. We're back in the cycle. But everybody, thanks for tuning in. Hit that like button on the way out. See you next time.